Returning to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Um, as I said last Sunday morning, I never was assured in all my days of preaching that I had messages from the Lord uh, for these Sunday mornings. And uh, I'm grateful for that. And it's good to know that uh, as a preacher that uh, God reveals messages and then it's our job to preach them and preach them faithfully. And I trust that we will we'll do that again this morning. So if you open your Bible at Acts chapter 2 and uh, just uh, keep it open there and keep your Bible open during the meeting because we'll be referring to some scriptures in in this chapter. The first message or sermon ever preached to the newly birthed, newly formed church of Jesus Christ was preached by an ignorant and unlearned fisherman from Galilee whose name, of course, you know, was Peter. He had no diplomas. He had no degrees. He had no college training. He was an ignorant and an unlearned man. You could read, his, an average reader could read the message that he preached in five minutes. It's found in Acts chapter 2 here. And in 20 verses, from verses 14 down to 35. And in those verses, uh, Peter's making a defense uh, to what happened on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out. You know the story, I'm sure. If you don't, you should. And we should saturate ourselves in these early chapters of Acts because they are the foundation stone of the way the church should be moving even in these days. We know the story how the Holy Spirit fell on 120 praying in the upper room and suddenly there was a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. Uh, he came with cloven tongues of fire, fell upon them and they began to speak in other languages. And many that gathered at Jerusalem uh, at that day and there were thousands there for the Passover Many of them were confounded and amazed and marveled and said, what meaneth this? Now with the help of the Lord this morning, I want to try as far as possible to answer a bit of that question where they said, what is the meaning of this? Uh, admittedly, there are many things in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. There's many phenomena in revival that we don't understand or not able to, to calculate them in our mind. But there are keys uh, to the physical, practical level of what happened. For instance, we know what it was, and this is very important, we know what it was that provoked those who heard the message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. We know what it was that made them cry out we know what it was that brought them under conviction of sin. We know what it was that made them repent. And we know what it was that brought the fear of God upon them. We know what it was that drove them into the baptismal tank. And we know what it was that made them gather and, 
made them desire to gather round the Lord's table. We know what it was that joined them together in fellowship. And we know what it was that uh, 3,000 souls in one day were saved. We know the reason for that. And I'm going to show you what the reason for that is this morning. And we should be able to be able to say in our church that these things are multiplied in the same way. And the answer that came after the preaching of this message, which we will look at a bit of later on, but the message that came, the answer that came after the preaching of this message, you'll find in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. In verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this. Well, we'll be seeing what they heard. Because it's when they heard this. Now, now you just settle yourself and look at that again. Look at that. Don't pass over these verses. Don't put any of your own preconceived ideas and notions and doctrines into this. Let the Holy Ghost speak to you as he has to speak to us all. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. That word pricked is stabbed. It's like being stabbed with a knife, stabbed with a two-edged sword. It's stabbed right into the very hilt. It's a very strong word that they were stabbed in the heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. Let me ask you this morning, are you baptized as a believer? And if you're not baptized as a believer, there's scores and scores of Scripture and in this book that will tell you that you should be. And we have a tank open here on the night of the 1st of December. And you be very welcome if you meet the requirements to be baptized. Peter said unto them in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this genera- untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word, you see what come first, the word, were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and prayers. Do you want me to read that verse for you again? Do you meet the requirements here? And they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, uh, had, had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily which should be saved. Now, what was it? What we're going to look this morning, what was it that they heard? 
that made them do this, that drove them in love in their heart to do this. Remember, we're talking about sinful men and women. What was it that drove them to this? Well, I want to say first of all this morning, this whole business was steeped in prayer and supplication. And we must not ever get away from that because as you read through the book of Acts, there's hardly a chapter to the end of the book of Acts but you'll not find where the people of God prayed and prayed. And so the first thing we have to say that this came about by prayer and supplication because we know that they had spent 10 days, 120 of them, in the upper room, crying unto God. They were desperately interceding to God in the upper room. They were fighting for survival. They were surrounded by the Romans. The Sanhedrin was ready to tear them apart. And the Jesus had gone, and they were shut in with fear in the upper room. And for ten days, they cried desperately unto God. The whole thing was lost if something wasn't going to happen. Now, I want to say a word here this morning And I I feel it in my heart all week. I want to say a word here this morning to ministers, pastors, and preachers. And the rest of you, for a minute or two, can just sit back. Because it doesn't apply to all. But I want to say a word to pastors and preachers and ministers, because I know that these uh, messages are going out to others. And after 38 years in the work of the Lord and 32 years in the same place, I have a right to voice my opinion and to give some advice. You see, preachers and pastors and those in the work of the Lord, when they come before a congregation of God's people and stand up as Peter did, uh, they need the Lord's word. They need the Lord's word because there's 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 a message for the meeting. And the only way you'll find the message for the meeting is on your knees before God. You see, one of the most misquoted, misrepresented texts that you hear in prayer meetings is Isaiah 55, where it says, Everybody plunders out, thy word shall not return unto you void. Well, if you read that in its context, it says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And, and the seed that brings bread to the sower and food to the eater, so shall my word that goeth forth from my mouth shall not return unto thee void. The word that goeth forth from his mouth. The word has to come from the mouth of God. Now I could take this word and I could flick through it this morning and I could pick a text out here this morning and I could preach it to you, but it may not be the message for this meeting. It's the word of God. So that's what I have to do during the week, early morning and late night. I have to get down before God and I have to get a message for the meeting. And the sooner we learn that, the better. It was, it's the word that cometh from God's mouth. This is the word of God for the people, for the particular situation. It's not your word. It's not another preacher's word. It's not a word from YouTube or Facebook or WhatsApp. It's a word from God. And we need words from God. You used to say among the preachers that the Baptists preached Spurgeon sermons. 
The Methodists preached Wesley's sermon. The Salvation Army preached William Booth's sermon. The Brethren preached James Nelson, John Nelson Dargie's sermon. Well, they preached none of them now. They're preaching Google sermons. I tell you, those men that I'm after mentioning when they got a word from God and they preached it, it didn't come back void, empty, useless, unaffected. You see, that's what the word void means. It will not return unto me void. The word that comes from the mouth of God, from the heart of God to a servant that's clean and waiting for it, that word will not return void. And my friend, if you take that text and all the words that's gone out across this province this morning, it's returning void after void after void because many of them are not words from God. When these men preached, it didn't return void. Many were the results here when this word was preached. Let me say this 30 years ago and more in this province, when the word of God was preached, men preached it steeped in prayer. They steeped it preached in fasting. They steeped it preached in waiting on God. Now we have got... That the raven hill says we have turned the upper room into a supper room. And once we get back again seeking the word of God, then we'll see God working again. It, said, it was said of the Puritans that they spent all week in heaven and they come down on Sundays and they delivered the message and they went back up again. They didn't while away the time on the golf course. They didn't while away the time watching trash on television. Or committees, or boards of governors, or spending hours with their hobbies. They wept and they prayed and they fasted between the porch and the altar until they had a message from God. And then they came and they delivered it. They got like Moses when he said, in that desperation, when he wept, he said to God, If you go not with me, I cannot go hence. And when they came to preach the gospel, they said like Jacob to Rachel, uh, Rachel said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. And my advice to some of the younger generation of preachers that are coming up, rise a great while before day as your master did. And weep and fast and pray and wait. There's a dying world out there. There's a sick church out there. We heard just the other day that 20 young people in West Belfast in one week committed suicide. Because all this stuff that's gone on and all the things that are going on amongst many of the preachers and pastors today, let me say, from a burdened heart, it'll be burnt up of wood, hay and stubble at the judgment seat. And if you're not shut in, shut up. Second thing is this, when you stand up to deliver God's message, make sure you have the filling of the Holy Ghost. Make sure you have a fresh filling and a fresh anointing and fresh fire and fresh oil. And I tell you, when messages are preached like that, you see results. The last words the Lord Jesus Christ gave to his children before he left is, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And I think that those last words must have burned into the heart and burned into the mind like the last words of anybody. The last words of a loved one that's dying. The last words that he gave them before he was taken up. Ye shall receive power. 
It was the Holy Ghost power let loose, let loose that stabbed these men with, and women with the two-edged sword. That's the first reason for this response. It was supplication. The second reason for this response was it was steeped in the Scriptures. You see, whenever they mocked and tackled them and, and said that they were full of wine and all that, Peter went straight to the Old Testament Scriptures. Now listen. He quoted, you can read the psalm for yourself, I'm going to quote a bit out of it in a minute. Listen, he went to Joel, he went to David, he went to Moses, he went to Psalms. He saturated his message in the Word of God, not in stories, not in gimmicks. He saturated his message in the Word of God. Forty times you read the word, word, and through this movement of the Holy Ghost and Acts. You'll read about the word preached, the word prevailed, the word continued, the word came, the word grew, holding forth, as Paul says in another place, holding forth the word of life in a crooked and perverse nation. It's the word, it's the word backed by the Holy Spirit that will bring meetings like this. And while this meeting was steep, this message was steeped in supplication and steeped in the scripture. It wasn't those alone that done what we read here this morning. It wasn't just those alone. But there was something else. The message was steeped in Christ. It was message was steeped in Christ the Savior. It was steeped in the gospel and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. And my friend, listen. It's the gospel. Now this is saturated in the God. I'll show you in a moment now. And we want to get back to, to blessing, and we want to get back to victory. This is the guideline for us here. And we're so far away from it. It's the gospel preached in power. It's the preaching of the cross as to them that perish, but on us which believe it, as I say. It's the preaching of the cross. If the gospel is, is not preached in power, there will be no results. It's the power of God unto salvation. Paul says, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And from verse 22, look at verse 22 of, of chapter 2. From verse 22 down to verse 36, it's filled with Christ. It's when they heard this, and put a full stop at this, when they heard this, when they heard what? Well, when they heard what he's going to preach to them here, these messages cut. This message cut into their souls. As uh, Catherine Booth used to say, Lord, give me messages that will cut. Well, what did they hear that cut? What did they hear that stabbed them in conviction and repentance, drove them to the tank, to the table? What, why did 3,000 souls get saved? What was the message? The message was steeped in Christ. Look at verse 22. Here's his defense. Here's his message. Ye men of Israel, hear the words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. Now just stop there a moment. A man. He's speaking about a man. He's speaking about his humanity. Jesus of Nazareth. Boy, they knew who Jesus of Nazareth was, all right. And they knew he was a man. 
And there was never a man like him, let me say. He was wholly harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. That's the first thing he says to them. He preaches in the power of the Holy Ghost, steeped in prayer, out of the upper room. He says, listen, there's a man. I tell you this morning, there's a man in the glory. And sinner, he'll save you if you will come this morning. He's the son of man. And he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then read on down in verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus, Nazareth, the man, approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as you yourself also know. He's speaking now of his deity, the miracles. He's a man. His miracles, his deity. And but then watch this wee verse, watch this wee verse at the end of verse 22. Wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourself also know. And then look at verse 23, read it. Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken with it hands, you have crucified and slain. Now I tell you what's here. There's a man here. There's a miracles here. There's the sovereignty here. There's the deity here. There's the humanity here. And there's the cruelty here. See, verse 23, Peter faced them dead on. He says, ye, you see, my, he's personalizing. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain the Son of God. You that knew. That's what he says. You that knew that he'd done these miracles. You that knew who he was. You that watched, some of you watched what he did. And you knew. And it didn't take a bit of effect out of you. And you crucified him on an old wooden cross. That's preaching the gospel. And that's preaching the gospel backed up in power. You done it. You crucified him. Wicked hands crucified Jesus. And I tell you, there was no mincing of the words there, my friend. None whatsoever. None at all. They knew all about him and they knew what they did and, and they, they put him on that old cross at Calvary and with wicked hands they crucified the Son of God and they slew him. And when Peter's preaching that, I'll tell you, conviction falls upon them. And that's when conviction will come. And if you're not saved in this meeting t- this morning, let me say, if you, don't get a, if you don't see the cruelty at the cross, we had there, that fellow, I never heard preaching like it I never heard preaching like it from a Presbyterian minister that I heard last night over in that barn. He preached on that text. He gave himself for us. And for about 25 minutes, he held 105 young people spellbound on the cross. One of the best gospel messages I heard for a long time. He gave himself for us. And he went down. He gave his head for us. He gave his hands for us. He gave his back for us. He gave his life for us. He gave his soul for us. And when you get preaching like that, backed by the power of the Holy Ghost, and my friend, if you're in this meeting this morning and you're not saved yet, and that doesn't affect you then, there's something terrible wrong. Christ died for you. 
And we, we, you're just as much a part as putting them on that old cross as the ones that did it, at, did it at the time because you're rejecting him today. You say, I'll not have this man to rule over me. And when Paul Peter began to speak about the humanity, he was just a man. And then he spoke of his sovereignty. He, God with his sovereign mind and will allowed it to happen. And then he spoke of the, he spoke of the, of, of the apathy of the people and the cruelty of the cross. I tell you, they started to, some of them must have shook. And Paul came with this mighty word and they said, what shall we do? What will we do? They're not saying here, what will we do to be saved? I don't think that was in their mind. What they're saying here, what will we do because of what we have done? What will we do because we treated Jesus Christ, the Son of God, like that? What will we do? What are you going to do this morning? Huh? What are, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this man hanging naked on the cross, the Son of God that created all things, upholds all things by the word of his power, who is from eternity past, forever and forever, the eternal Son of God, the eternal God, the eternal Spirit, the eternal Son, is all dealing with eternity. We're dealing with time. What are we going to do? Backside us, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with this table? See, this is preaching. This is gospel preaching. This is powerful preaching. This is the preaching, the first message of the early church. Oh, how far we have got away from it. This is the gospel in all its power, backed by the Holy Ghost, stabbing in the two-edged sword. That that went in, there was a cry, and then it was twisted. There was two edges on it, and then it twisted. Aye, they went to roar up. And what are we going to do? What will we do? Oh, look at what we have done. Oh, my dear friend, when we see the people out there this morning, when we see people around us this morning, when we see our loved ones this morning coming face to face with the cross and seeing this awful, awful cruelty, that we perpetrated upon the holy, lovely Son of God. If it doesn't bring tears to your eyes, if it doesn't break us, if it doesn't help us to live for Him and serve Him with all our heart and with all our soul. And these people said, what are we going to do? And just like a flash, Peter comes back, repent. That was it. Repent. That was the first message first application of the message on the early church was to repent. John the Baptist came preaching repentance. Jesus came preaching repentance. Peter came preaching repentance. Paul came preaching repentance. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Except ye repent, ye perish. And the word that came to these people here was, oh no, there was no hugging here, let me tell you. There was no dancing here. There was no kissing and slabbering here. I'll tell you what there was. There was pure conviction of sin and brokenness and fear. That's what it says. Fear fell on them. If we had any fear of God when we come into the house of God on Sunday morning, we wouldn't be chatting about things outside. 
And understand, Stephen, but a word on Thursday night, I wasn't there on how to behave ourselves in the house of God, and he's coming back this Thursday night, and if you want to hear it, come. Repent, he says. It was the first word he says. After he preached the gospel, after he preached this mighty message, that they, with their wicked hands, had slain Christ, he says, you need to repent for doing that. Then what did he say? Watch it again here. What did he, what he, what he, what he say? Verse 38. Then Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Repentance is the inward work. Baptism is the outward witness. Thank God for those number that are coming forth as an outward witness. And when they come up out of the tank, they're witnessing outwardly. I am a child of God. I am saved by his grace. I am declaring to all around me that I am not ashamed of Christ. That's all they're doing. Look at verse 41. Now watch this carefully as we come down to the end this morning. Watch this. Verse 41. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized. That's the tank. Let us go on. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That's the tie. That's the fellowship. I I declare that to be membership. So the first thing was the tank, then the tie. Look at verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the truth. And fellowship and breaking of bread. That's the table. And in prayers. That's the throne. Have you got the sequence now? Tell me, are we far away or are we not from this? The tank, the tie, the truth, the table, the throne. Watch verse 42 again. They obeyed. They continued steadfastly in the doctrine and breaking of bread and prayers. They obeyed. Look at verse 43, the feared. Look at verse 45, the tithe, sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Look at verse 46, they remembered and they continued steadfastly with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They remembered the Lord. Verse 47, the praised, praising God and having favor with all the people. And verse 47, they were added to, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. It's there, it's there for yourself. Read it, meditate upon it, and ask the Lord, what will I do, Lord? Do you know what he'll say? The very same that Peter said. Very same. So that's between you and God. But there's one thing that I close with this morning. We saw the humanity. He preached on the humanity. He preached on the deity. He preached on the sovereignty. He preached on the cruelty. He preached on the apathy. They saw it and didn't do anything about it. But he preached on the victory seven times. In this message, he mentions the resurrection 
of Christ. The keynote of this preaching was the resurrection. You see, friend, the dead Savior is no use. And you know, we can meet round the table and thank God for it, and we can have all the gospel meetings, and we can preach the cross to our to we're not able to preach anymore, but we must preach the resurrection. Amen. That's where the power. See, the letter, the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And it was the preaching of the resurrection that put all the antagonists mad. And you read through the Acts and it was whenever they preached on the living Christ. He's not in the grave anymore. He's alive. There'd be no use in them calling him to a dead Christ. Putting him on the cross and, and, and him dying for our sins and all that goes with Calvary. Gethsemane, Gebath and Golgotha. Awful and all that it was. And they buried him. But he rose. Hallelujah. He's alive. He lives forevermore. And they preached the living Christ. He preached victory. He preached the living Christ. And I'm preaching unto you this morning one that is alive. And he's alive forevermore. And he's, he's coming again in the clouds of glory. I'm not offering you a dead Savior this morning. I'm offering you a living Savior. Those of us who love him and serve him, surely we should make much of the cross. But oh, where's the praise? And where's the joy? And where's the victory? That these people had the praise God and had favor with all the people. And every day their souls being added to the church. You see, and you'll see next week, and then the very next chapter, Peter and John went up into the temple at the hour of prayer. They were still praying. Oh, you could have thought that after a great time like this and blessing like this and revival like this and souls like this, we'll not bother praying. They kept praying. Kept praying. And all through the book of Acts, you'll read that as they prayed, even the place was shook. Imagine that they were praying in Acts 4. And as they prayed, the place was shaken. The very earthquake, the very foundations of the place shook with the power. 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 Where is this power today? Where is this anointing today? Where is this preaching today? Where is the preaching, the stabbing into the hearts of men and women? Where is the conviction of sin that we used to see in the early days of my ministry? Where is it when people cried out in meetings? When people were afraid to cross 30 miles and now going home? See Ruth there, Hannah, her dad, afraid to cross 30 miles, going home after hearing a message in hell and Car Baptist, afraid, afraid something would happen. Where is that today? Do you know why it's not there? And the indictment is mine as much as any other person. It's not there because we haven't preaching like this now. We haven't spirit-filled men like this now. We're all in theater now. Somebody said we're 
performers on the pulpit. And I'll tell you, if we're going to see God moving, we'll have to get back to the Old Testament truth. And we'll have to get back to calling men and women to repent, repent, repent. And to obedience. And once, once we do that, I tell you, there'll, there'll be a breaking loose. There'll be a breaking loose. There'll be thousands saved when the Holy Ghost comes down in power. Just an unlearned fisherman. No degrees and no diplomas. A man who was a blasphemer. A man who was a bargainer. God took him up. And with a short message... The Holy Ghost moved. Don't you say to yourself, oh, well, that happened then and it can't happen now. My friend, there's nothing further from the truth than that. Because this has happened, it has happened thousands of times since. It's happening in China. It's happening in India. It's happening in Africa. At this moment as I preach, scores are being saved and baptized Churches have been formed for the remembering the Lord. This is revival. This is how the early church started. This is how it went on for a certain length of time. And we're so far away from it this morning that it's not recognizable. And I pray that whatever day is the Lord gives me, whether it's months or whether it's years, it may not be long. But I'll preach and cry and fast and wait for revival to come. And I'll not let go until the Lord comes. You can do what you want. But if this word doesn't speak to you, then there's nothing I can do. And those that come forward to me for baptism, it wasn't because I have told them or anybody else told them. It was because I've seen it in the word. I've been reading. I've been sitting in the meeting and God has spoken to me. And they want to obey the Lord. And glory to God for that. May God help us.